0: Welcome to the Paragold Podcast. This is Jared Pickney, and today I am joined by one of the most inspiring people I know, Dan Ring. Dan, thanks so much for coming on.
1: Man, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here.
0: Fantastic, man. Well, I, I want to uh, start the podcast by talking about how you and I met. Um, I had been driving to Starbucks, I think it was, for like pretty much every Tuesday for three or four years. I would go work there. And on my drive to Jonesboro, there on the highway, the side of the highway, running no matter if it was 95 degrees or, you know, 20 degrees, no matter if it was raining or sleeting, there was this guy just running. And uh, one day I was like, I've got to stop and ask this guy, why is he the way that he
1: is? Do you remember that? I remember. What was that like? Uh, and i remember where we were it was right there near the county line yes. when you pull when you pull over i remember seeing you pull over as i'm approaching and i don't recognize the vehicle and uh you get out and yeah. I'm, I'm a little startled at first I'm, I'm what's this guy up to, you know uh but uh no, Somebody even
0: stopped, I think, that knew you when they saw me get out. And they remember that they're like, oh, yeah. "Dan, you okay?" Oh
1: yeah, that's I, I recall. I, I had forgotten about that, but you're absolutely <laughs> right. Somebody <laughs> did want to make sure that nobody was messing with me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, yeah
0: So we um, we begin to talk a little bit on the side of the road, and I immediately was like, I, I could just tell there was something different about you, like something that I it was almost, you know. I don't know if it's God, or, but there's just a sense of like, I really want to get to know more about this guy's story. So if you remember, I was like, I'm going to go grab coffee. You agreed graciously, right. even though you didn't know anything about me. And so we ended up later that day, I think we were at um, Swirls. Swirls. Is that right? That's where yeah. it was,
1: Swirls. And we got a
0: coffee, just like we're doing now, right. drinking a little coffee. And you began to tell me how you got into running and your passion for running and why you do it. And so I'm just wondering if you could start but maybe just sharing some of that story
1: um again for those who are listening to here sure um i started running after debbie and i got married uh, i didn't run track in school i didn't run cross country i had really really hadn't run uh up until that point in my life but uh, a friend asked me one day if i'd like to go run with him and I thought, why? <laughs> I thought, no, not really. But 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 he he said no. He said let's uh, let's go run, and I, I was thinking about that just last week. How that invitation to go and run with him has impacted my life. Hmm. But but what 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 resonated with me as I was thinking about that last week was something is simple as inviting somebody else Hmm. to participate. And when we apply that to the spiritual life, again, something Mm -hmm. as simple as inviting somebody, go to church with me, Hmm. the eternal impact that can have Hmm. on their life. Hmm. But he he invited me to go run with him. We went and ran. uh, I wasn't really overwhelmed (laughs) initially. but, But he got me with, he said, I know a guy who is a vendor for Nike. He said, I can get you a great deal on some shoes. (laughs) And that that was it. So, I mean, that that, that was the birth of my running. What I did not realize at that time that God had given me a gift at that point. But I didn't know it was a gift. Were you good at running immediately? (laughs) Honestly, I don't know. I okay. mean, I, I think I was because I enjoyed it. Okay, but why I say I don't know is because I never focused on how fast I was running, how far I was running. I I didn't know what cadence was. I didn't know what my heart rate was. I didn't have a Garmin. I you know none of the technology that that runners associate with running today. No, I just ran because. Yeah, I guess I was good at it, and I enjoyed it. It uh, it was a release. I mean, and that's what it was. It was just uh, a, a, an opportunity to to get out and, mm-hmm. and, and enjoy the fresh air.
0: How old were you at that point?
1: Twenty years old. Okay. All right. 20. So you're twenty years old. Yeah. You were already married. Yeah, we we, we had uh, just got married. Actually, Debbie and I were here from northeast Arkansas, but we had moved to Hot Springs Village, Arkansas. Okay. And that's where I met this guy. And that's where, where I began running in the hills in, in Hot Springs, Arkansas. All right. So you had been running, and
0: then I know that eventually um, this transitioned into you were, you. were you running with your wife at one point, or was – there, I know there. Was, I remember from your story originally there was something about you and walking with your wife and all of that tied in to this passion that you even have now. That's even beyond
1: running. Yeah, we we ran together some. She she enjoyed walking uh, when before speed walking became a thing. I mean that she she had a girlfriend and they they walked briskly. Uh, but we would run together a couple of times a week. Uh, it was just uh, a lifestyle. I mean. Her and I both uh, Mm -hmm. focused on fitness, focused on uh, healthy eating. I mean, it was just a a lifestyle thing with us. So so we we did it together. If we weren't running together, then she was walking while I was running. Yeah. But uh, it was was just uh, an opportunity again for us to spend time together.
0: Yeah. And that continued up until she got sick.
1: Up until she got sick, uh, she was... Um, and what happened there? Tell me about her diagnosis, and I don't remember Okay, she was uh, 44 years old, ideal health. I, again, we had a, a healthy lifestyle, healthy diet. Uh, she went in to see her OBGYN, gyn uh, her annual uh, exam, and... Something was out of the ordinary. I mean, nothing that concerned him, but uh, just some things that she had said to him and uh, something in her blood work. So he he scheduled a colonoscopy for later that same week. She went in for the colonoscopy, and I remember the nurse calling me to come and pick her up And I went and picked her up, and the doctor met me as I walked in. And in a very calloused tone, he said, it's cancer. Rocked my world. You weren't expecting that. No, I didn't see that coming. So, I mean, it, it, it was, neither one of us had any inkling, any, there was no history of cancer in her family. Uh, No, it was... Uh, totally out of left field. Totally, yes. Wow.
0: And when was that? What year-ish? That was 2001.
1: 2001. Yes, I remember it. And uh, the, 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 the thing that, when you ask what year it was, 2001. Her birthday was August 8th. Okay, it was the end of August, the 27th, 28th, something like that, when she went in for her annual exam. Colonoscopy, a couple of days later, September 2nd, she's having surgery. Just that quick, having surgery. That sounds serious it was. But uh, she's in the hospital for a couple of days recovering. We're home uh, about the 9th, the 10th. September 11th, 2001, I'm trying to regain a little normalcy in our life. First time I feel comfortable leaving her at home for a few minutes while I go out to run. I go out to run, come back around the corner, get back to the house, come to the the garage door, and she's sitting on the couch, and she's, come here, look at this. We sat there and we watched what unfolded there on it, you know that morning, the Twin Towers. And I've got to be honest with you, it was real in the sense that we were feeling what the nation was feeling, but our world had just been rocked.
0: Yeah, yeah. Our world
1: had just been turned upside down.
0: Yeah.
1: And, what, and just like the Twin... We didn't see it coming as a nation we didn't see what we were dealing with coming either and i remember praying in that moment crying out to god but i wasn't praying for what i saw taking place on tv yeah yeah i was praying for my wife mm. and the thing that i remember most about that prayer was that god heard my prayer at that moment mm when this nation was crying out in unison because we were under attack, God let me know that my prayer was no less significant than any other prayer that was being uttered at that moment, and that he heard my prayer, that I had an audience of one with the King of kings and the Lord of lords at that moment, and I've never forgotten that.
0: That feeling, I guess, was it a feeling of God hearing my prayers? Because I know there are so many people as a pastor who I talk with that don't feel like God hears their prayers. One of the things I was struck by, even in your book, which I want you to talk a bit about before we uh, end our time today, but, you know, the book on praying like a child. One of the things I was struck by is you prayed for your dad, Right. To be healed, and he died. You prayed for your wife to be healed, eventually she died. Obviously, we'll talk. I want I want to talk about this. You lost a son. Where does your assurance come from? And maybe we can just go back to that moment and talk about that moment as an example of others. But how do you have an assurance that God heard your prayers or does hear your prayers? Whenever there's so many unanswered prayers that we didn't have some.
1: You know, that's an interesting question in the sense that. I knew at that moment that God heard my prayer, but I specifically remember two years later, God confirming to me that he had heard my prayer two years earlier. I was reading the story of blind Bartimaeus. Mm. Jesus and the disciples are coming out of Jericho, headed toward Jerusalem, and the blind beggar is sitting on the side of the road. And he's crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And it was as if the church didn't hear the beggar, because we see nothing in scripture that the disciples even acknowledged that this beggar was on the side of the road mm-hmm. crying out. Now, there were some in the crowd who tried to silence Bartimaeus, but Jesus stood still. Mm. And it was as if time stood still. And he said, Bring him to me. And the beggar, the one who had been outcast, the one who the crowd was trying to silence, the one who the disciples had either ignored or they just were not aware of the need right there before them, mm-hmm. had an audience of mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The beggar. Sitting on the side of the road was welcomed at the king's table at that mm-hmm. moment, right there. Mm-hmm. And he had an audience, like I said, of one with the king. And if we go back and we look at the story, again, the, the chaos, the confusion, the no- I mean the crowds that were following Christ at that point, what, what, what the spirit spoke to me, and that was that the beggar's cry was not muffled by the chaos and the confusion and the noise. And his cry was no less significant than any other cry. It, and again, the, the thing that I love about, Christ was on a mission. He,
0: yeah, he, he yeah. was
1: on a, he, he, he was, had, had some place to be. I mean, he was focused, yeah. but time stood still for a moment. And he focused on the beggar. And I love that yeah, story. Man.
0: man, it's beautiful. So many people in our city probably feel like the beggar, you know. It's easy to feel like the outcast. It's easy to feel like there's no way that I would be important enough to God for him to, to hear and listen to my prayers and that story. Yeah, certainly yeah. highlights a different narrative. Right. So it's 9-11. Your world seems to be falling apart. Not just like the world, your world. Since we've fallen apart. So, yeah, pick us up there. What, how did things progress from there or digress?
1: Well, it, it was, it basically digressed continually for, for five and a half years. I mean, there, there, there were a couple of points of I mean, initially surgery, uh, recovery, chemo, things looked good. A year later, uh, her first follow-up after chemo, uh, scans looked good, everything was good. Six months later, she went in, uh, there was something that didn't look good. Uh, uh, More tests, more scans, and uh, it was determined that uh, the cancer had metastasized to her lungs at that point. So... (laughs) We ended up going to MD Anderson. There was more surgery. There was more treatments. Uh, again, a, a slight reprieve there for uh, a little while, and then things got worse again. It uh, had metastasized to, to the brain. It, uh, it, 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 it was just, uh, it just seemed like there was never, I, I remember at one point, and you asked that question, but I remember at one point when we came back from MD Anderson after her liver surgery, and she asked me, and I didn't have an answer, but she said, why does it keep coming back? And I said, why does God keep taking care of you? I said, maybe it's because people are praying. That was all I could say at that Mm -hmm. point. But from that point on, like I said, it, uh, it got worse and worse and worse. Uh,
0: and eventually she passed away when?
1: January 18th in uh, 2007. She, we, we dealt with it for five and a half years.
0: Uh, and, uh, and, in that, and in that time, I remember you telling me when we first met and we were talking at Swirls how you would walk around the block with her.
1: Because you couldn't run. Right.
0: And if you ran, you'd be leaving her behind.
1: Right. We, uh, she continued to walk, even though she was going through treatments. Uh, and for a while, she would walk there in the neighborhood in Carriage Hills, where we lived at mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. And I would run a couple of miles first, uh, I, I'd get a short run in and then I would find her wherever she was. She never, she was never far from the house. Yeah. I mean, on our block it's where I would usually catch her. And then we would walk until she just grew weary and couldn't walk anymore. So we, we would always walk a little bit together, but there near the end, uh, like I said, uh, the, the cancer had metastasized to her brain. Um, but, there was a little reprieve and we were going to make a trip to memphis in september of oh six okay i was getting ready in that, that that morning i was getting dressed she was in the bathroom she fell and broke her ankle mm. now at first we thought it was just a broken ankle she goes in has the x-rays the mris what a, the cancer had metastasized at that point to the bones uh, so, I mean, it, it was from that point on, for, for, for the last five and a half months, she didn't walk. That's when I would push her of the mornings in her wheelchair through the cemetery. And we would pray together. We would worship together. We, that, that, that was a time that we, and, and, and I remember praying. For God to heal her, even, even at that point, believing that God was going to heal her. But we spent that time, and looking back, I'm grateful for the opportunities that we had just walking together mm-hmm. the, the last five months of her life. Mm-hmm.
0: One of the things I've picked up on when I've read your books is how much you love your wife. That's pretty obvious. I know that you'd be the first to say that you weren't a perfect husband, and you even talk about that. Some of the the, the boneheaded <laughs> comments you would make, or whatever, or you know, in the break room, or right. whatever. And so it's like, but you really loved her. You do love her. You I still do. love her. I still do. Um, man, that is that's tough. I would imagine to know that you love a woman like that and and cared well, and and was a. a good, do you ever struggle, or did you ever struggle with bitterness? Because I know that when people lose those they love. Especially when it seems like prayers aren't answered, bitterness can begin to creep in. It can feel like you know, I've been shortchanged. God didn't hear me. He doesn't care. I mean, did, did any of that stuff ever come in? Doubts,
1: bitterness. There, there was anger, bitterness. I initially I was depressed,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but I didn't know I was depressed. And what, it, what was that? What was depression like for you?
0: I know it's a little bit different for everybody, but. Do you remember?
1: Like I said, I didn't know I was depressed. I, mean, I I think of it as a functioning alcoholic or a functioning addict. I was functioning, but I was depressed, but I didn't know I was depressed. In my mind, I had this picture of what depression looked like. Okay, It was somebody sitting on the couch, eating potato chips and ice cream, watching Oprah all day long and doing nothing. I got up every morning. I laced up. I put on my running shoes. I ran down the highway. I waved. I smiled. But behind the smile were the tears. And, and what running had become for me at that point was a way to numb mm. the pain. It was its own form of drug, right? It, it was. It was. It was It was my drug of choice. It just so happened that it didn't have the same side effects as some of the other illicit drugs that, that people turned to. But... Running had become my drug at that point and it was the only it was the only you talk about wondering whether God heard my prayers and wondering what it was the only part of my life at that point that I felt like I had any control over yeah I had realized I have no control I'm in control of nothing yeah you know but it was for 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 a small part of the day I felt like I'm in control. Yeah. I can determine how far I run. I can determine how fast I run. I can determine. I was in control for just a minute. But again, it gave me the opportunity to run away Mm. from the pain. Hmm. So let's talk about that, running
0: away from the pain. Okay. Did eventually you stop running and you ran towards the pain? Did
1: you embrace the pain? Did you just let it be? Wow, I, th- 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 that's a good question. I, I, I never. I guess there was a point at where when I did embrace the pain and maybe ran toward it because I can actually remember. There were times, and we were talking a while ago about being angry with God and, and questioning God, and we'll talk about more about that in a minute. But I can remember almost challenging God as I was running I don't like talking about that I was I was running down the highway and I really didn't care yeah if somebody swerved off on the shoulder yeah, yeah. I mean there, there there was days that I wasn't going to run out into traffic but I didn't care You'd was, lost so much. I had oh, lost. Okay. It, you, you talk about running in the rain. There was, there, there was times when it was lightning, and I said, see how, take your best yeah, shot. <laughs> you know. yeah. Uh, so so now, running away from the pain, running into the pain, there was no getting away from the pain. I mean, there, there really wasn't. Uh,
0: so eventually, you just kind of had to let it wash over you? Is that safe to say? The reason I asked that is because you know we had Blake and Haley deck on um, several episodes ago and, and she talks about and she's um, just recently wrote a book that's coming out soon. and she talks in there about how grief is like waves. and eventually you you've, you've got to let them hit you and wash over you. and if you'll do that, eventually you evolve stronger. But the waves seem eventually a little bit weaker and you you get stronger. Does that sum up some of what does that put to words some of what you maybe
1: experienced? Yes, I would. Yeah, I would agree uh, completely with with what you just said and what she said. There, there are times in the grieving process when when you're, I think of it this way: you're sitting on the shore and you're watching the waves, and eventually they do. They just overwhelm you and and, and they, they, they wash you out in. And it's unexpected, and it's not what we want. But there's times when we sit there and we watch the waves, and we get up and we run to them because we want to get wet one more time. Mm. So, so yes, yeah, so there, there, there's that academy there where, where we don't want the waves to wash over us. But there's those moments when we want to be in the middle of the wave.
0: Yeah, what does that give you, being in the middle of the wave? What's the payoff?
1: In the wave is the past. Okay. It's a way to embrace what was. Yeah.
0: I think that's incredibly important because I think nobody likes to feel sad. I don't say nobody. I guess some people do, but most people don't like to feel sad, and... But the thing about sorrow and grief is it just highlights that you lost something you valued. Oh, absolutely. And so if you don't feel grief, what you're just saying, and, and, so many, and just in a better way, what I'm about to say it probably, but if you don't let yourself feel g- grief, you can experience some of that love oh. and what you truly valued once yep. it's taken from you. Absolutely. It seems the opposite of that, right? It seems like I just need to quit thinking about it. I don't want to grieve. But the way you said it, man, I never thought about it that way before. Grieving allows you to experience again in some way
1: what has been lost and taken from you. Right, right. You saying that in a passage of scripture comes to mind and one that, that, that I've had to, 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 to stand on more than once, but the Passover supper, Christ is with the disciples. He's told them he's about to die. He breaks the bread, he passes the wine, and he says, the next time you guys do this, I won't be here, but remember me. Now, that may not be the way it's written in the King James Version, but that's what he said. He said, the next time you guys do this, I won't be here, but remember me. And then one of the most precious promises in all of Scripture is, oh, and by the way, we're all going to do this again one day in yeah. Daddy's place. Yeah. We're all going to do that. I mean, the, the promise, that, but, but, but the in-between time, he says, remember me. Remember me every time you do this. Every Fourth of July, every Christmas, every birthday, remember me, and look forward to that day when we do it again in Daddy's house.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful, man. You should write a book.
1: <laughs> you think
0: <laughs> so, um, man? That's good. So, but in that season, you're running away from pain, right? So I'm gonna go back to your story. Okay, running away from pain. Um, how, how how long how how many miles were you
1: running at that point, probably, just out of curiosity? Uh, at that point, I was probably running, on average, I'm sure, 60, 70 miles a week. I mean, it, it was, most days, was, it was a 10-mile run. Okay. Uh, All right.
0: Is that the highest you ever got up to? I'm just curious.
1: No, there was, uh it was time, a couple of years ago, I, I was probably doing more mileage per week than and there was, uh, a couple of years ago, I was doing... Two-a-days. I, I would go out and run 10, 15 miles in the morning and then uh, wow. do a, a five-mile run in the evening. Wow. So over 100 miles a week, easily it, at one point. So,
0: But your wife has um, passed. You're running not just for the pleasure of running anymore, but it's become somewhat of a drug of just helping you cope with, man, the fact that your world is falling apart and there's right. a sense of control that you're getting. Pick me up from there. Because so, I know that eventually you're, you
1: experienced yeah, he, More grief. He, he did. You're right. Uh, at this point, though, uh, I still did not realize that running was my gift. I, I, I had not realized that. Uh, but a couple of years later, I lose my son, Jason, uh, in an automobile accident. He was held. 33. 33. Yeah. Yes. And I loved him. <laughs> but that uh, there was a couple of girls from church after his accident that came to me, and they said, we want to put together a 5K race to honor your wife and your son. Mm. What would you think about that? And I didn't miss a beat. I, I don't know where this came from, but I said, Let's do something epic. Now, I had run the Memphis Marathon, the St. Jude Memphis Marathon, a couple of years before, and I was beginning to see at that point that running was more than just about me. I, I began to, God was beginning to open my eyes to, to, to the idea that maybe this was something more than just a drug to ease my pain. Mm-hmm. But when they said, let's do a 5K race, to, and I thought, Everybody does 5K races. I said, let's do something epic. And they said, well, what do you got in mind? And, and like I said, I had, I had developed a passion for the kids at St. Jude at that point, and obviously losing my wife to cancer and, and seeing an opportunity here to do something for, for children that, that are battling cancer. I said, let's put together a run from Jonesboro to Memphis, and I mean, let, let, let's raise money for St. Jude." But, but this, was, this was when God really began to open my eyes to, to the, the, the fact that he had given me this gift, and now he was going to let me use it to tell her story, mm-hmm. to tell his story, and to do kingdom work. So, I mean, th- this was the beginning of God really opening up a platform through this gift that he had given me 30 years before, and now he says... We're gonna unwrap this gift and let me show you what we're gonna do with it. And it's gonna start in Jonesboro and it's gonna to go to Memphis. First yeah, up. they're right. So how did that
0: go? Uh, what was, how did you even do that?
1: Actually, what we did is is we we organized a relay, basically. So okay. We put together. There was, I think, fifteen of us that that, that got together that morning. Uh, oh, the planning! Well, it, it took us six months to 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 bring everything together, but. We actually ran relay style, basically, from Jonesboro to Memphis. I mean, we, we had four or five runners on the road at all times. Uh, and then, you know, we'd run five or six miles. And then a couple of other runners would shift in and shift out. But we ran continuously from, uh, from Jonesboro to, to Memphis. Uh, took us about 12 hours. <laughs> uh, we, we had a blast, though. I mean, that, that was really one of the most enjoyable runs uh, of my life. So,
0: uh, how have you continued to use running since then? You said that it's it's become somewhat of a platform, a ministry tool. Yeah. What is, tell me about that?
1: The way you and I met. I mean, yeah, it, it it amazes me the amount, the the number of people that I have encountered on the side of the highway, and either prayed for them, or prayed with them, or shared my faith with them, uh, after. Running to Memphis and, 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 and being a part of that, I mean, that was a, a phenomenal experience. Uh, three years ago, I actually ran across the state of Arkansas and carried a flag and did this in honor of our vets and, and our law enforcement officers. But this You case, carried a flag
0: while you are running. I remember seeing that.
1: Yeah. Yes. How far did you go? Well, we started at uh, Fort Smith at the Arkansas River, ran across the— and I, not, not, not without stopping, but ran across the state of Arkansas to to Memphis. Uh, took me, I think it was eleven or twelve days, but this gave me an opportunity to share my faith, to to to, to tell my story. individually along the high, met a lot of people, a lot of veterans, a, a lot of family members of veterans, but uh, again, just an opportunity to to share my faith, my story, and meet other people and hear their story
0: that's incredible man i i really wish every time that i was around you that i enjoyed running <laughs>
1: and i don't at all <laughs> am i doing something wrong <laughs> i i don't know there, there, there's you're not the only person i know who does not enjoy running. but you saying that and, and and people have asked me you know how do you stay in shape and I, I think it doesn't have to be running, but whatever it is, it may be swimming, it may be cycling, it may be playing tennis. It may, you've got to enjoy it. If it's not fun, yeah, then you're not going to keep doing it. Absolutely. I mean, it, uh, like I said, running has been has been a gift, but it's also been a a gift that that puts a smile on my face. Sure, uh, sure. Yeah.
0: Now let's. That's so true of so
1: much in life, right?
0: If you don't enjoy it, whether it's your job or, or a hobby or working out, yeah, whatever it is, chances right. of you sticking with it aren't going to be great. Um, you've authored two books, Pray Like a Child and Breathe Again. Yes. Um, can you tell those that are listening a little bit about each and where they can grab those books? So maybe start with Pray Like a Child.
1: Okay. We'll just say both books are available on Amazon. Okay. Uh, You can search the the title and my name and bring up either one of those books on Amazon. Pray Like a Child was inspired by my grandson, my first grandson. He was almost three years old, uh, so this would have been about four years after Debbie died. Uh, It would have been before Jason, my son, died. But I was at a low point at that point in my life. And I remember I was watching him one evening. Jennifer was working. She was working nights at that point, my daughter. So I'm watching him. And it had been one of those days, which was just part of one of those weeks, which, I mean, it just I was just at a really low point that night. But it was bedtime, so... We were getting ready for bed, and we were going to say our prayers like we always did. And he laid down, and and I was about to pray for him, or we were about to say our prayers together. We we, we usually prayed together, but he said, pray for me first. And that was unusual. He'd never said that before, and I thought, okay. So I I, I placed my hand on his forehead and and prayed for him like I always did. I just prayed the priestly prayer blessing over him from Numbers uh, 6, 23, and 24. And then he said, okay, let's pray. So we held hands and we said our prayers, which basically his, it was me listening to him pray usually when we said our prayers together. Mm -hmm. And uh, then after that, I got up and went around to my side of the bed and I would usually pray Mm -hmm. silently because I didn't want him hearing the, 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 I honestly didn't want him hearing the transparency of my prayers at that point. Mm. But he said, say your prayers, Dandy. And I thought, I don't feel like praying. I mean, I, I wasn't going to say that to him. So I knelt down there on my side of the bed and I bowed my head and I thought, this was one of those moments where I thought, what would I say to God if he were right here beside me, if I knew he could hear me right now? Would the cries of my heart, What w- I, I just really felt uncomfortable even trying to pray at that point. And what I really needed was somebody to pray for me. I need, I couldn't pray. The, the, the words weren't there. I'd, I, I thought if he could see the tears, that would reveal the pain of my heart right now. But, but I wanted more than anything else for someone to pray for me. And in that moment, my three-year-old grandson, the silence was pierced. I mean, he says, Dandy, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you, Dandy. And I thought, oh, my God. He not only heard the cry of my heart, he saw the tears in my, and he spoke to me through a 3-year-old child and then Jack's my grandson gets up and he comes around and like a deacon in the baptist church I'm kneeled beside he puts his hand on the back of my head and he prays for me wow that was the inspiration for that book but but the transparency of the prayers of a child is what in The innocence of the prayers of a child, the simplicity of the prayers of over and over again, Christ tells us to come to the kingdom as little children. And I think sometimes we, we try to complicate things.
0: Oh man. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that's,
1: (laughs) it's an incredibly powerful story. I've heard you tell
0: it before, but it's even more powerful. I've heard it again (laughs) and read about it in your book, um, I think that tends to be one of the biggest stumbling blocks to prayer is People are just like, well, I don't, I don't know the right words to say, or I don't know how to do it. And it's like, if you can begin to pray like a child, chi- children aren't thinking about what they're saying; it's just like uh, coming out,
1: man. Uh, like whatever's it. in
0: them's coming out. That's it,
1: and that's what you're getting at, right? Absolutely. It, uh, you know, I, I the, 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 again, the, the simplicity of a child. If you, if you, if you listen to a child pray and offer thanks. We think, how trivial. I mean, the things that they're grateful for, the things, you know, I, I, I can, re, you know, thank you for, for, for the houses that we live in. Thank you for the builders that build that. You think, really, but, but listen to a child petition God for something. That's laser focused. Mm-hmm. God, help mommy feel better. God, take away the pain in sissy's belly god protect laser focus simple not elegant words not 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 words that are crafted with 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 you know framing it just right so that that, that we have god's yeah. ear just simple yeah
0: keep it simple absolutely so that's pray like a child yes. and there's a lot to that book it's, it's a fairly easy read but it's packed with so much and so I would encourage those of you that are listening get on Amazon check it out it will be a blessing to your soul and again as I told you Dan one of the things that blessed me the most is, is here's a guy who has not had all of his prayers answered in a way that you probably wanted them to be answered and yet you continue to pray and you continue to ask God and you continue to encourage others to do the same thing that's incredible to
1: me yeah you are saying that there's a couple of things that that I have in the word that I have stood on that 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 gives me the ability I I say the ability that 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 allows me to to not lose that hope. One of the passages of scripture that that I stand on, Second Kings Chapter 13, verse 14. It's the death of Elisha. Now, I'm not going to put you on the spot, but most people don't have a clue how Elisha died. Now, let's take just a minute. Elisha was the successor of Elijah. Okay. If we've heard the Bible stories, we know Elijah was a prophet of God. Elijah prayed down fire from heaven on Mount Carmel, and then he slew the 400 prophets. of. I mean, Elijah was a man who, he prayed that it would not rain, and it did not rain for three and a half years, and then he prayed in the heavens. So, I mean, this was a man, God heard his prayers, okay. Elisha was his successor. Elijah didn't die. God took him up in a world, and Elisha, got a double portion mm-hmm. of what Elijah had. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if there was a prophet of old who could pray, it had to be Elisha. 2 mm-hmm. Kings chapter 13, verse 14 says, And he got sick and died. Almost a, a footnote in the middle of the chapter is talking about the kings and the reigns of the kings. And it has nothing to do, it says, he got sick and he died. And then the chapter continues. And I thought, wait. If there was a man who could pray for healing, mm. surely it was Elisha. Mm. But he got sick. Mm. A fever, a cold. And he died. And I think, who am I to be Disappointed because I get sick or somebody I love gets sick and they die. Yeah.
0: Man, that's so good. I've never thought about that before. Um, C.S. Lewis talks about how pain is God's megaphone, reminding us that this place is not heaven. Right. It's his way of reminding us that, like, hey, yeah, the reason that this hurts is because you were made for more, you weren't made for this. And I think it is healthy to remember that no matter how powerful your prayer life is, or no matter how close you walk with the Lord, or you get the double portion like Elisha had, and we're all going to get sick and die in this world, you know, because we do live in a fallen, broken world. And the reason that we hate that is because we were made for a world where that's not going to happen. And I know that's where part of your hope comes from. I know that's part of the reason you still have a twinkle in your eye. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. and I tell people, I'm bent a little more toward heaven every day. I mean... Not only is my Jesus there, my Savior's there. Debbie's there, Jason's mm-hmm. there, my dad's there. Oh, I'm bit toward yeah. heaven a little more yeah, every man. day. Yeah, man. But, but, but in the meantime, and again, I, I want to share another passage of scripture with you. I mean, because we were talking earlier about questioning God and, and, and wanting the answers to why, and I think I don't think there's anything wrong. I mean, this is me personally... I don't think there's anything wrong with asking God why. God doesn't run from the tough questions. My God doesn't. But John's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 33, uh, Christ has just told the disciples, uh, again, that he's about to die, and he says, but I'm going to leave you something. Uh I'm going to leave you peace. I'm going to leave you my peace, you know. In this world, you're going to have troubles. There's going to be tribulations. There's going to be sickness. There's going to be illness. There's going to be cancer. There's going to be problems in this world. But I have overcome the world. And I think what resonates with me there is that he did not say, oh, there's going to be trouble in this world. Things are going to get worse, guys. I mean, this is what he, things are going to get worse. But he said, Don't worry about that, because in three days, I'm going to raise from the dead. I'm going to overcome. No, he said, I have overcome, as if he'd already been crucified and buried Mm -hmm. and raised. He said, I have overcome Mm -hmm. the world. He said, I am already there. He said, I'm already there. Whatever you're facing tomorrow, whatever trial, whatever tribulation, whatever struggle, he says, "I'm already there, brother. I'm already there." And then let's go just continue on into John's chapter 17, where Christ prays. This is, again, prayer has something that has been a big part of my life, but the first part of that prayer in, in chapter 17, Christ prays for himself. It's the first part of that prayer. And I'll summarize, he says, "Father, I have completed the work that you've given me to do. I restored the glory that I had with you before. But the key, he says, I've completed the work that you've given me to do. And I, and I look at that and I think, well, wait a minute. His ministry was only three years old. I mean, it was great. There was so much more we think that he could have done. But he said, no, Father, I've completed mm-hmm, the work. Mm-hmm. And then he prays for the disciples. The second part of that prayer, he says, Father, I'm praying for these that I'm leaving behind. He says, Father, keep them. Keep them. And what I read into that is, keep them until they complete the work that you give them to do. Keep them, because I'm not going to be here with them. Keep them. And then the last part of that prayer, he says, Not only these, but I'm praying for those who will believe because of their words. Keep them. And what I read into that is, sometimes we think there's so much more work to be done. And he says, Jared, your work is done. He will keep you until your work is done. And that's when I look at Debbie's life, and I think, oh, there was so much more. You know, I, I remember walking with her there near the end and telling her, maybe just close your eyes. Believe that God is going to heal you. I believe that. I said, believe that God is going to heal you. Believe that he's going to use your story to inspire others. Just believe. All I wanted to do was be in her shadow when she told her story. But it wasn't until after that I realized that he was preparing her for the kingdom. Uh-huh. He was preparing me to tell her story.
0: There's a theme, and Bill, um, who is our sound, audio guy, video guy, you'll remember this, but there's a theme that I picked up on, and maybe you did too as you're listening. Today Dan speak between him and the decks. that, and this is important for those who are listening, that it seems like in order to truly make peace with losing a loved one is making a shift from they were cheated out of their time, there was a flaw in some sort of divine plan and they left far too soon, to moving over to, you know what? Actually, no, I think that the divine plan is working as it should and that that was there a lot of time and that God is still in control. And as much as cancer and car accidents and all those things are not meant to be in God's original plan, he still is in control and working even through things like that and accomplishing his purposes it seems like that's something that the decks have pointed to that really helped them and that you point to as well in your story that you come to a place and you're like, wait a minute. Like, yeah, it's not that focusing on God didn't answer my prayers and something's messed up and wacky and God doesn't hear and he's not working. But am I hearing that right? Of you come to a piece of, In the plan
1: that, if I think if we accept that, yes, we've all got a work to do, and God, if the Father heard the beloved Son's prayer, if there was ever a prayer that 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 was. In the Father's will, I've got to believe that was the one where he said, keep them mm-hmm. until their work is done. And like you said, car accidents, cancers, those those things are not part of sure. God's plan. Sure. But I look at the verse in Romans. And and, and I don't want to rewrite scripture. But I read it this way. My God is able to make all things work together for good, for those who love him in a call to. Call. He is able, doesn't mean that everything that happens happens for the good of the believer. That's your, yeah. but my God is able to take the cancer, to take the car accident, to take the heart. My God is able to work that into his plan and make it work for the good of those who love him so yeah he in my second book breathe again god reveals to me that he did not come to stop the wind from blowing but he came to pick up the broken pieces Can you talk more about it? Yeah. Uh, you know, there, there, there's... Uh, that book, Breathe Again, is, is really my, my journey in asking God why and searching for those answers. Even though I had a peace that there was an answer, I still wanted the answer. I, w- I wanted to know what the answer... I wanted to know the why... Uh, I remember, and I'll digress here for just a minute, I remember right after Debbie died, I was having lunch with three friends. Mm-hmm. And at one point in the conference, I mean, this was the week following Debbie's death, and one of them looked up at me as we were eating lunch, and he said, do you ever ask why? And I didn't miss a beat at that. I looked up at just like I'm looking at you right now, and I said, I know why. And he kind of raised up and had a startled look on his face like, really, you know why? And I said, I don't know the why, but I said, I know there is a why. I said, when I was looking through some old photos, getting ready for the funeral, some things that I was going to have displayed there at her funeral, It was as if God spoke to me at that point and said, you're looking at moments in time. And all you're seeing is small moments. But one day, we'll sit down, you'll look at my photo album, and you'll see the whole picture. (laughs) And it'll all make sense, even though it doesn't make sense right now. So the very foundation of that question why God is a fundamental belief that there is a God that knows why. Mm-hmm. So the, I think we embrace that question. We, we, we may, may or may not get the answers in this life. and We can go, go to the book of Job. Job wanted to know why. God never told him. God restored right. him. Never told him why. Right. God right. never told his wife why Job was good. Never told his friends why Job was we may not get the answers why in this life, but we might. We might not like the answers we get, but. Right. Uh, right.
0: Yeah, there is a why. Uh, absolutely. Viktor Frankl says that if a man has a why, he can endure almost any what, you know? And so even if you don't necessarily know what the why is, it doesn't mean that there's not a why. Right. And that's where your faith comes in, right? Okay. You know there's a why. Even if you don't fully know what it is yet, and because you know there's a why you're able to endure, your suffering then has meaning right there, there, there's a purpose to it yeah so you have continued to suffer like many people, right life is not not all of a sudden now like that not, like suffering's over like those are the hard things are behind me, like lifes continued to be hard. I'm curious as for those who are listening um how do you, as people who also have their own hardships, right, their own loss, their own difficulties, right. how do you continue to run? How do you continue to move forward towards the things that you believe God has called you to? Or how do you continue to, to get up and go after those things?
1: Wow. Uh got to think about that one for a minute. Uh Yeah. I think we're all, we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 1 and verses 27, 28 chapter 1 are a couple of my favorite verses in, in all of scripture. It says he created them in his image, in the image of God he created them male and female. We've been created in the image of God. We are called to be image bearers. And if we, if we are image bearers and we look at the, the life of Christ, Christ's ministry, and, and I'm going back to almost to pray like a child, the simplicity of the gospel, Christ's ministry was based upon telling stories. He taught through parables over, he told stories. So if, if we are to be Christ-like, we need to be image bearers and storytellers. We just tell our story. Our story is his story. If we tell our story and he gets the glory, that's what, you know, telling our story is about. And sometimes telling our story may be running down the highway or it, it, it's when I believe that God gives each of us a gift. And I'm not talking about the spiritual gifts now, but I'm talking a passion for something in life that he allows us And again, we go back to my story. I had this gift for thirty years, but I didn't know it was a gift. I did not know that God had a purpose for this gift. But He gives us a passion, and and it's when we take those passions and we we use those for kingdom work. I mean, it, it becomes fun at that point. I mean, it really does.
0: Yeah. So what I hear you saying is, and you fit in a little bit, find the why, find the purpose. And then also sharing your story. That's huge. I've heard that before of of grief needs a witness. And so if you're going through hardship, if you are suffering, you're experiencing loss, one of the worst things you can do is kind of hang out in the shadows or self-isolate. Stepping into community, finding a way, whether you sit through running or whether it's with your feet or I guess your hands writing right, Right. or with your mouth like you're doing right now talking about it. It's very important that you learn to tell your story that you share with, I know you would say with God, but also with others, your
1: experience. Absolutely, again, it's like you and I've talked before. We become more human when we share our brokenness. We've gotten away from transparency even in the church, and, yeah. and that's a sad thing. Sometimes we it, uh, we smile and we say everything's okay, uh, and inside we're broken. Yeah, and we're hurting. And it's when we reveal our brokenness that the strength of Christ is revealed in us. I mean, it's uh it's through brokenness that, that, that he is glorified. Well, there's so
0: much more I know we could talk about. That seems like a good place to wrap up for now. Is there anything else that you would like to say to anyone who may be listening? Anything that's just on your heart right now, in your mind, that if we end the podcast and you go home, that later you're like, ah, I should
1: have said this.
0: Anything. I don't
1: want to, don't want to make it. It's not there. Oh, the, the, I'm, I'm sure there'll be a lot of things that I'll think, ah, yeah, we, we, we should have talked about that. Or, <laughs> I, I should have said that. Uh, Welcome to my world, by the way, every Sunday uh, when I, I preach. I, I, I'm sure. It, yeah. uh, but the, 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 the second book, breathe again. And, and we'll just, we'll, we'll close with that is it is the story of my quest for the answers to the why. Um, uh, Again, the, the, the other thing that, that, that I would say and that asking that why question, and, and I had heard this from well-meaning friends who said, don't ask God why. It's not for you to know why. But I think, again, at the foundation of that question, when I ask God why, it doesn't make me a bad Christian when I ask God why, it doesn't make me a bad Christian. It makes me a child who needs my father. So, again, th- th- this book was my journey, my quest to get the answers. Why I would say if, if that journey, searching for your answers, leads you to the word, leads you to spending time in the presence of the Father, Ask, ask,
0: love it, man. I love you, brother. Love your tenderness, and uh, it's always such an honor to be able to spend time in your presence. Thank you for sharing your story, so incredibly valuable. Really appreciate you being vulnerable with us and taking time to be on here. So, pray like a child and breathe again. Both two incredibly meaningful books that I believe will serve you. And so, get on Amazon, order them. And be on the lookout for Dan Ring on the side of the road. There you go. Wherever you may be. So, Love, you. Love you, brother. Thank you, man. Yeah.